1: Hey everybody, welcome to Going Off Track. It is Steven here. Brad is off doing his producer duties. Jonah is out on tour. Mike is producing and or moving his entire home base. So it's just me here today. And our guest is Mr. Paul Pope, Eisner Award winning comic book writer, artist, rock poster maker. He's got his new book, Battling Boy, is hit number one on the New York Times bestsellers. He's just amazing, and he's one of those people that as soon as he walks into a room, you feel much less cool. Some of us don't feel too cool too often, but when Paul Pope walks in, damn, you just feel like, why do I even bother? Some people can just exude that kind of cool, that kind of uh, uh, joie de vivre. And then there are those of us who just always look like they should be sitting in a corner eating, I don't know, a granola bar or something. That would be me. So today on Going Off Track, Paul Pope, if you don't know any of his works, uh, check him out. I would grab uh, Heavy Liquid. I would grab Batman uh, Year 100. Uh, Battling Boy is exceptional. Um, he's got a new one coming out. He's got He's got a lot going on. So here we go. Paul Pope, Going Off Track.
0: I just got Vincent Price's uh, cookbook. Really? He, he did a couple. He was a real gourmet. No way. I had no he, idea. He, had a, he has an international cooking course, which is like a double LP. You know, it's Vincent Price. Yes. He goes, but he's actually, I mean, it, the recipes are all like Joy of Cooking mm-hmm. era. It's like too much butter and salt. Oh, and yes. That's the thing. That's that whole, That's that's every page of Joy of Cooking. Yeah, pretty much. So he's from that era. But the thing that's great about it, I'm trying to remember the title of it. It's some... Um, he had a couple one is like the all american cookbook which is like fried chicken recipes from all the different states and but the one the one i have is more international but he he his cooking course was amazing because he considering this would have been like the late 60s or mid 60s he did a really good job of introducing you know the you know miss america housewife 1960s you know everything from like how to make tortillas to um you know manchego cheese to, you know, how to make goulash and all this stuff. And how did I not know any of this about Vincent Price? I, I, you know, I, I, ah. I listen to a lot of old-time radio plays when I work. Oh, really? There's one called Quiet, Please, which is the best. It's not mm-hmm. well-known. Uh, it's one of the, the original writers from Mercury Radio with Orson Welles, this guy named Willis Cooper.
1: Isn't today the 75th anniversary is, isn't of Isn't it Halloween? It's, a, I, it's kind of perfect. We're talking about Vincent Price. We are and... On this Halloween episode. <laughs> uh, I think today's... I live near um, Grover's Mill. Okay. Oh, with, and it's this oh, little, yeah. little park, and in that park, there's a monument to the aliens. Oh, really? Yeah, and also Orson Welles. He was there, too, but
0: most of the aliens. You know what's amazing? They say that still when, you know, like recently, I think it was in Peru, they, they tried to stage that, you know, like the, the thing about, you know, the aliens are landing mm-hmm. live on the radio. And if you hear the original Mercury Theater one, it's actually pretty spooky because they cut out of music to go into news broadcasts, mm-hmm. but apparently it made the people so pissed off, they came and burned down the radio station and killed the DJ. <laughs> In Peru? Yeah, I think it was Peru's. It was somewhere in uh, Central America. <laughs> they don't take too kindly to
1: pranks. Jackass does not play well there in Peru. <laughs> There's no Peruvian jackass. No, oh, Dude, uh, Paul Pope's hanging with us. Man, Hello. thank you so much. It was such a pleasure yeah. meeting you at San Diego. Likewise. I, I've been a fan, but I'm not shy to say I was a peripheral fan. I heard about you just in the world. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to check this stuff out. Yeah. And I think it was Heavy Liquid I snagged first, and then Batman, yeah. and then was like... Very rock and roll book, dude, right? Yeah, a lot of rock and
0: roll stuff and heavy liquid.
1: I kind of, I kind of veer towards that. I like um, certain kind of of characters where it looks like, man, I don't think their hair has ever seen a comb. I gravitate <laughs> towards that. Yeah, I dip it. his head in grease. And it's like, start the day. It just for me, it was one of those things that the further I delved into your work, it's like, man, this guy seems to just come out of the woodwork with a voice already. <laughs> yeah. You're not that much older than me, and I was just looking at what you've done, and it just seems just like a like,
0: fly just hatched.
1: Man, <laughs> just yeah, no evolution, always there. But you know, of course, there's growth with like, my mutant power. <laughs> but you have this like cool way of I don't know straddling the worlds of dare I say indie and mainstream. and You've gotten to work on a lot of cool things, just on
0: yeah like, rad work. That's ethic. you know, it's funny. I I've always kind of questioned like the the label like you know being considered indie when I've done work for some of the major brands and corporations around the world, like some of the biggest. Yet I'm still considered indie, but um, not not that it's a big deal. I wouldn't want to make an issue of it. But I did see somebody. I think it was a guy named Daryl Ayo, if I'm getting his name right. He he posted the question. He's like, you know, is is, is Paul Pope indie or mainstream? And he, I think he made a good distinction. He's like, it depends on who the client is, because you know, it's like if you're doing work for Coca-Cola, then you're not indie, right? You're getting that's how you support yourself to do your own personal work, right? So that's the I think the, the balancing act between. Indian mainstream. I guess you get stuck in that category because you, out of the gate, were doing your own thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and putting it out there, and that's, a lot of people don't even have the gumption to do that. Well, also, I came from Mm self-publishing. You know, like, when I got into comics, it was right right around the time Image Comics was starting to blow up, and, uh, but there already were great successes with, you know, ElfQuest. I was going back to the 80s, you know, uh, what else Mm -hmm. was there? Cerebus, and um, uh, Mutant Turtles was the huge one. I remember, Mm -hmm. it was the first time I remember looking at Wall Street Journal front page of the business section and it said these guys sold their merch rights for 56 million dollars oh yeah when eastman and laird
1: all of a sudden it's a cartoon i'm like whoa! people want to see that as a cartoon yeah as a phenomenon i mean
0: it's that's the thing that's really cool whether it's harry potter or hello kitty or Mm -hmm. converse shoes and whatever it might be when it becomes some sort of a a a cultural like like a, a bit of the dna of the culture as opposed to just a product or just some thing you know like Another crummy happy meal, piece oh. of junk, you know.
1: Well, that's why, like your take on Batman a lot. Like you treat Batman as like the myth that he is, and I, I can't remember what the interview was, but someone said years ago, it's like kids are born knowing who Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman mm-hmm. are. It's yeah. like it's like you know, some people have an image of what a Holy Trinity is, but I think mm-hmm. we all
0: know what the Holy Trinity is. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's like that. It wasn't invented by Jack Kirby.
1: No, <laughs> no, sadly.
0: He, or he what? Did his, his, I guess Fourth World is probably his attempt at it, right? Too. Yeah. Oh, man. Silver Star. Yeah. Silver so yeah, is a destroyer duck. Yeah, destroyer duck. God. We, could, we could go on all day. Clarion the Witch Boy. If I came up with that name, that's like one of the, the weirdest. Greatest. It's
1: so weird. And then,
0: I mean, it's so weird that when you read
1: Grant Morrison's take on it, you're like, wow, he couldn't figure out what to do with this guy. That was the one drawn by Ryan
0: Sook, I think. That, uh, great okay. artwork. Great coloring, great artwork. I think mm-hmm. Ryan colored it as well.
1: What, The Seven Soldiers?
0: He was one of the Seven Soldiers okay. books. Yeah. I, I don't like it when they have these giant crossovers with different artists with like drastically different styles. Mm-hmm. They also did it on Morrison's run on New X Men because I think Frank Wiley's is yeah. one of the best cartoonists walking the to earth today. It's so good. And his fill in guys were good. Don't give me, I mean, where I, I think it was Igor Accordé and um, uh, Sienkiewicz did an issue yeah, okay. inked by um, John Paul Leone. Really? Which is great. But I mean, the styles were so, even though it was enjoyable, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, it was hard to follow because it was almost like going from like stereo to mono or mm-hmm. going from like black and white to color. You know, like it seemed like, like you're watching Citizen Kane and suddenly minutes 31 through 37 are, are in 3d, you
1: know, it's, then it's you go th- back to quietly like, his just line work is so specific in the way he does it that I don't know. He can just, he can, well, kind of like what you do. You can put an expression on a face, which is like, the foremost battle, you know, mm. of any kind of character is being able to read the emotion, I guess for any artist, but it's hard to do that. And a lot of people I find in comics that I read get caught up in, I don't know, muscles or other yeah. things when it's, it's down to the specifics of how does the hair look? How do the clothes look? How does mm. the fiber work? Things that you don't think about when you're just reading it. Cause you want to, the artist wants you to forget that, yeah. but
0: just be aware of it. You know what yeah. I mean? That kind of thing. And quietly just has this way he, uh, yeah, if I were to list the best, I mean, he's definitely up there along with Eduardo Rizzo. Um, uh, I, I think John Paul Leone's pretty great. I mean, John Romita Jr.,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: Frank Miller, like there, I mean, I don't want to get into these like superlatives here, but in, don't worry uh, about that. Yeah. Sorry. For, you know, we got to paint the picture. It's radio, right? It's for radio podcast. Well, it's like, the, um. And, the phone was ringing. In case you, couldn't we usually
1: tone. don't edit, but Brad has the mic set very well, so they oh, won't. Good. They won't pick up what we're referring to.
0: But we should talk like NPR people. Get those sweaty balls, those sweaty balls. They won't pick up what we're referring to.
1: Paul, you like to draw? Can you
0: tone down your energy level a little? <clears throat> You're making me stressed out. What's it like <laughs> to hold a pen? <laughs> do you do any digital work at all? Yeah, I do. I I am struggling with what I think could eventually become carpal tunnel if i'm not careful (laughs) no and um yeah well that's the thing so i i've learned as a good manager good leader to delegate Mm -hmm. as much as possible so at the moment i have two assistants one is pretty much just doing digital work i mean with battling boy we have a team i mean it's like i mean the thing is is even though i'm like writer artist you know the, the truth is nothing gets made in a vacuum i mean there's probably 30 people working on battling boy if you go all the way from like publicity through coloring through um marketing, um editorial, you know, not to mention the foreign licenses. We just got Spain, which is awesome. Right on. How do you deal with the translation? Um well the so far I've seen the Italian and the French translation. And we got since my French publisher, Dargo, picked up uh actually I think they're getting all of my books now, which is great to have like one home for everything. Yeah. Because then you have more of a chance of good marketing. I'm going over to uh Angoulême in Paris in a couple of months. So we're on this, like, it's becoming more of a world tour for the book, but not to jump ahead, but um, uh, Francois Brodsky is the name of the French translator, and she and I have worked together for probably 15 years. She did Heavy Liquid. Okay. And what was really great is, um, I, I the whole thing about context versus literal translation is so fascinating, you know, because, like, I, my French is, you know, I had five years, I got up through college, um, so my French is pretty good, but if I watch... You know, like French cop movies. I can't follow the slang because I, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's even like a, a kind of a Cockney rhyming, like old school French. Really? Like wordplay that that French people understand that we wouldn't. Like if we were to tell limericks. they say once in, you can
1: tell humor in a language, you're really fluent.
0: Yeah, if you can tell a joke, that's the yeah. thing. If you can tell a joke in French, you can speak French. Yeah. So wow. So, uh, but I, she she was yeah. And then the Italian translator, my publisher in, in Italy is is Bao, and um. Uh, the, the publisher was the translator. He speaks the, it's a husband and wife team, but, um, he speaks fluent, uh, English. They both do. But to, to the point where he he understands American slang. That's like, a, we're just cool, right? Up. Slack bastards over here, man. I don't <laughs> speak a damn thing. Yeah. We're like number 80th in like, uh, first world countries for
1: math and science or something like yeah, that. And we, and we think we're awesome. Uh, the, the thing that interests me about translating is we have bigger the, bombs though. what you say? Yeah, we exactly. Have, we have bigger bombs. Yeah. I don't care what you can tell. <laughs> Duck, motherfucker. The there was a story, a few years ago, where they took a uh, Public Enemy lyrics mm-hmm. and they got translated in Japanese. Oh and they yeah. They took the Japanese lyrics, and they translated them back to see mm. how it That's translated. Great. Instead of uh, bass, how low can you go? It translated into something like "I will shout Mustang at the crowd," and it just it was just so funny. So I wondered, with you know, taking your words and having them put into another language, like how does that change? I guess not the story, but how does that change how the character
0: talks? Well, there, you know, in, here, here's actually an example of that with Japanese. Because when I was working for Kodansha and, and in the 90s, late 90s, I was living in Tokyo, working directly with translators, editors. My translator was awesome. She was like um, this really interesting older lady. Um, uh, She's uh, like a really kind of like, how do you say, a small boat Buddhist, Where no, the big boat Buddhist, where she is able to live in the world. Not like you know, some of them cut their hair and go live in a mountain, mm-hmm. and that—that's yes. the small boat Buddhists because those are the ones that don't come back. <laughs> Big boat is has most of the people, like the ones kind of like your Sunday Catholics, you know. Oh yeah. But um, she was she was a, a really awesome person, and um, she took me to see No Theater, and yeah. um, uh, No's great, but sexist, but great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was married, but um, the reason I said she was lonely is because her husband was like always like traveling around the world, and mm-hmm. but the long story short is we sat down. Uh there's a story I have called um <clears throat> excuse me it's called Night Job and it's it's reprinted in Images uh one-trick rip-off which mm-hmm. is my collection of the book plus uh, deep cuts which is the the ancillary stuff I did. Mm-hmm. Uh there was a line where these two gangsters are talking and one says to the other something to the effect of a like there's a new gang I mean, it's just kind of hard-boiled patois you know like there's a new gang muscling in our territory fuck 'em let's they can go back to Detroit you know, so that, and they were like, "Okay, what does this mean exactly?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, it's a threat." And so they translated um, the way because they didn't have as much space because that in kanji would have t- just taken up way too much space in the panel. It would have been one of those horrible Hugo Pratt panels where it's like tiny little head, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like Shakespeare's soliloquies. So they translated it into um, we'll we'll piss them back to Detroit, and it was the same. So it was something to the effect of, you know, we'll, we'll piss on them all the way to Detroit or something, and it, it translated. In context, but it was so much more elegant, right? So I think the shout Mustang must be the same as like yeah. bass solo, can you go? Right? Mm-hmm. It means that's, something that's deep. That stuff because in Heavy Liquid, there's a, there's a, I tried to come up with lots of slang terms. Mm-hmm. And I came up with this term, doesn't mean anything. It's copper, Copper Julie's is um, what he <laughs> called, I, th- I think is what he was calling the cops. And um, uh, at the time, Julie was just a like, reference to Giuliani because he's in New York and it's the future. And I was like, you know, Giuliani's such a, you know, considered such a hard-nosed, uh, you know, like um, law enforcement guy, right? At least that was his reputation that he had when we were living here at the time. You know, shutting down all the really good oh, yeah. drag queen clubs and, you know, no dancing on the dance floor and all this kind of thing. Oh, no. It's but, a cabaret law. It's still in the books. What does it mean to enforce it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, you still see it sometimes. Like mm-hmm. if, if I go out, like sometimes, you know, like if it's a holiday, like there's a, there's a place I love in the village on Thompson Street called The Dove used to be my local, uh, run by a couple of friends of mine, uh, uh, Jen and Henrietta are the names, but they would occasionally have like spontaneous dance parties. Right. And it was like, all right, we're breaking the law now, you know, and it would just, even if it was like, uh, like no uh, New Year's Eve, they weren't allowed to, they weren't technically allowed to have mm-hmm. cabaret shows. Because they're not zoned for it. I had
1: no idea about this, and I was living in L.A. at the time, and I was dating this woman who was a swing dance instructor. Because that was mm. big for a minute.
0: Oh yeah, and scrolling nut zippers and all that. Oh yeah,
1: um, big bad voodoo daddy. I used mm-hmm. to see them a lot. Uh, I saw swingers, and I'm like, I live on that street.
0: I, you know, I got I got to go to the derby, the brown that's derby. Where she taught? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I was seeing a girl who was uh, working at um, uh, was it Bar Marmont? That place, mm-hmm. the hotel, the Chateau yes. Marmont. And um, yeah, we, we went there for like a Latin night. But um, before that started, it was it was somebody pretty big. It, I think it was Squirrel Nut Zippers. Come to think of it, but it was like a, I was like, "Whoa, this is like a a scene." Everybody's got like saddle shoes on, oh, and yeah. vests, and there's certain and pork pie like,
1: hats. Oh yeah, they had. Full on outfits. and I wasn't costuming. They wore this all the time. And there are certain people that, yeah. you know, like we do more Lindy hop. You guys do more, you know, regular. Oh, it's swing like the dance. jets and the sharks. Dude, uh, <laughs> It was amazing. And everybody could dance really well. But I remember, was intimidating. Well, I remember coming out to New York to go dancing and mm-hmm. we couldn't fucking dance anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell? And they were like, yeah, these laws are getting pushed. I'm like, that's, weird because can't you charge more for dancing doesn't that
0: inhibit yeah i don't understand the the logic i remember when i first moved here i lived on orchard street avenue a like Mm -hmm. over lower east side it's totally different city now completely from Mm -hmm. what it was back then it was actually still kind of dangerous you'd see like junkies and doorways and cop busts all you know anyway so there was this place we went to on avenue b uh it was called save the robots and it was a room like we're in a pretty small room right now like maybe 12 feet by 15 feet it wasn't much bigger than this and it was just full of these like disco, house music, drag queens, and just everybody's dancing around, and the, the floor is shaking. You're like, man, I, I don't know what the weight capacity is for this floor. This might be a pre-war building. They got like two thousand pounds more of human flesh in here than they should. But I mean, that was like it was like yeah, it's like wow. I feel like I'm in a Kojak episode. You know what I mean? It was that was the New York like for me like growing up. New York was always like the Warriors, Kojak, um, French Connection. Right, this kind of thing, and like you know, John Travolta going to Studio Fifty Four oh, yeah. and all that. You know, I remember seeing the trailer
1: for the Warriors as a kid, and being like, "I don't know what this is about, but I am in." Yeah, I was terrified. Oh, when they when they like break into the, the telephone booth, I am like, "What's going on? What's happening?" Yeah,
0: it's really fun to watch. Like, it's funny if if like if you know your like your New York uh, landscapes and street numbers, everything. Watching the French Connection, one of my favorite movies. I love William Friedkin. Love I love uh, Gene Hackman. I love Roy Scheider. I love mm-hmm. just a perfect film. Oh yeah, it's, it's actually not perfect, but it's pretty close. But um, that the, it they, they make it seem like it's all kind of taking place in like one area, but they're shooting all over the city. So you'll go from like you know you're in the Bowery, then suddenly he's in Queens, mm-hmm. you know. Then he's on like the Brooklyn you know Parkway Express, and it's like okay, this is they make it seem like he's in one location, but
1: I always want to find what was the subway stop that had the cafe.
0: Oh, yeah, God, that's, yeah, God, it's so funny, isn't it? That's one thing that's so amazing about this town is the, just the layers of stratification. There was a list one time, I think Time Out put it out once, and I, I
1: found a couple of them just randomly, which was, uh, I know where the the last working, not it doesn't work, but I know where the last gas lamp is. Mm. That's over on, um,
0: it's off. Like an actual gas lamp?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's in, it's in you know it, it's right on, you know. West Village? West Village, Sixth where Mm, Greenwich Cross is And there's that big library Used to be a church Uh Right across it is a little set of apartments Called like the doctor's apartments Uh And it's back there behind Oh wow And I think Uptown is the last phone booth Mm -hmm. And somewhere they kept Yeah that
0: phone booth thing's kind of sad They're greasy dirty old Relics of the 20th century But kind of miss them you know Seeing them everywhere yeah It's like well, the other thing that they that they kept, which I thought was weird... Parking meters are going now. Are they really? That's a new one. It's like everyone turned into Cool Hand Luke, just cutting them down. Oh, that's right, yeah. Getting rid of them. You got to
1: pay and put the paper in. You're responsible for opening up your car. Yeah. <laughs> um, this takes place. This this covers all of these spots. And watch out for the bike lane, because they're going to hit you before a car will. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, there's a one. Walk- I, I
0: have a bike, so I'm sympathetic to the bike cause. I'm sympathetic to it as well. If you stop at a fucking stoplight or a stop sign... Oh, yeah, we'll see so, yeah, how the what is it curtis lee calls the chop suey charlies the guy the guys that are delivering all the takeout food those guys are just mercenary
1: every time i hear about someone getting hurt i'm like well what happened They're like well they ran a red i'm like well then I, yeah what do you i mean i feel for you i really yeah. do because maybe you weren't paying attention you want to give them that yeah uh, but what i was going to say is somewhere in new york i don't know where it is is the last walk don't walk sign oh really yeah wow and because they move, they
0: just slowly. Oh, like like literally the words "walk," "don't walk." Yeah,
1: that's what it was for years. Oh, it's oh and yeah, they yeah, Snuck into the.
0: Uh, it's weird, like how that stuff. You like there must be like some sort of a, like you know, in German you have all these, these like concept phrases, like you know, Leibniztraum and uh oh, Neu- yeah. Bauten is yes. n- you know new building. It's like mm-hmm. we don't do that in English, but there has to be. It'd be great if we had a word for like what it is when something like the "don't walk" signs are gone. Mm-hmm. And you can't remember, like, oh, wasn't there something there I can't remember? What was that thing? and Like, until you mentioned it, it's like, completely forgot about that, Yeah,
1: because they slowly snuck it in, you know? Uh, Neubauten, that's a great one. Because Einster's into, you can reverse it. So mm-hmm. it means either uh, buildings collapsing or collapsing buildings. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. the whole point of that band. I remember they yeah. played in D.C. when I was, they played the old 930 Club. They're familiar with that venue. Um, no, no,
0: I, I haven't spent much time in D.C yeah outside of the the mall and you know the all the, the capital
1: and all, all that kind of stuff, of stuff. well they had yeah. this old rock club which is now a big rock club there but um they played and this was a place that had like three bands for three bucks and it's where mm. you know minor Threat all ages all bands, yeah all ages oh it's like the legendary bad brain shows and all yep. those yeah all those and so einster's and came and played and it was 25 dollars a ticket and like everyone's like
0: fuck you <laughs> we're not going that's insane there's there's great st- legendary stories about them they, they played saint andrews and um this is detroit i think or ann arbor i'm trying to remember where st andrew it's in detroit i believe just like you know that kind of we call it the um the rock belt like you know there's the rust belt and the mm-hmm. bible belt the rock belt goes from new york philly cleveland detroit toledo <laughs> yeah. you know it's chicago mm-hmm. it's all the like midwest and toronto all those kind of like uh, middle cities that mm-hmm. support you know kind of rock and roll but they played a show and i i knew a guy who went and he he swore to god that they had this giant like, for anybody who doesn't know, Neubauten is, like, one of the originators of industrial music. So they would literally go get garbage and play it. And they would make it sound like a cacophony, but also like a beautiful, just bizarre art thing. So they had this giant piece of rubber that they would just use as a bass. But talk about how low can you go. Yeah. He said it actually gave people, like, the runs because the the vibration was so strong. That's amazing. I, I went, I saw... Um, when Boris toured with Ian Asbury, they opened, or they played, I should say the dead double build, but it was, um, uh, the Sun O tour, you know, this band like this, just just kind of mm-hmm. super heavy, like aggressively loud. Yes. But that was the loudest thing I've ever seen. That was in Brooklyn. And it was so loud. This guy had this mic giant cello he's playing. It was so loud. The hair was literally standing up, it, you know, kind of like that scene in the Watchmen when the guy's oh, yeah. trapped in the, that chamber and he's about to blow up and. I was like, I have to get out of here because I was like, my, my brain is rattling.
1: <laughs> that I, I remember having that experience of being in a club, a, and and my chest is basically. I'm like, I have to go. They're like, why? Because I'm, I think I'm having a heart attack. Yeah,
0: that's exactly how it felt. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, my organs are rumbling mm-hmm. here. I need to go. How was that Doors tour with Ian Asbury? I didn't see him actually. Oh, they okay. they played they played Roseland, but for some reason I didn't go. I mean, Ian's a friend of mine, so I I, I go see him around. Like when the Cult's playing here. Or if I'm in LA, like you know, we get together and stuff. He's a great guy. I interviewed him once on on this old
1: show I used to have, and uh, I speak fluent dry humor. I love sarcasm oh, yeah, he's, like that. He's, he's bone dry. We had on we had just um, a uh, Joey Ramone doll, mm-hmm. part of, part of our set, and uh, he comes in and just more stone faced than anything I've ever seen in my life. Goes, who's hey, that? Kurt Cobain. and I went, no, it's in. He went. I know who it is. And I went, oh, my God. <laughs> that's that bad?
0: Yeah, that's him. Yeah. One time so, he was he's saying, he was uh, getting my goat on something, I forget. But then he just, stone-faced, he looks at me and goes, Paul, you realize you have an invisible psychic chain on your forehead and I'm just going to keep pulling it. <laughs> he's he was, a he's a foodie, too. He likes to, really? when we get together, we go out to really, not like expensive, you know, Michelin five-star restaurants, but we, he, he's really into like... Cool, hidden spots. There's a couple, like, Japanese places in the village we go to, and out in L.A., he's got a couple favorite spots. And...
1: Really? That's cool to hear. Yeah, he's People great guy. these little things. He, um, he started that whole festival movement before anybody. Yeah, he's a little bitter about that. He's a little mad at Perry Farrell about that. Gathering of tribes. And I completely, I because I remember when gathering happened, and I never made the connection between Lollapalooza just kind of taking it and running with it, because mm-hmm. it was identical at the time. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, yeah, I'd be bummed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he, he's done stuff. I mean, you know, he's, he was friends with Russell Means, the, uh, uh, uh the, um, the, AIM activist, the mm-hmm. uh, Native American movement, American Indian movement, excuse me. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's done a lot of work with, um, you know, the, the, uh, Dakota Sioux and things. I don't, I don't want to get into his personal life no, too much, sure. but I mean, he's, he's, he's more than the kind of the idea people have maybe from watching the She Sells Sanctuary video, this, you know, or the rain video, like really headband. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I, I one of my best. Well, that's another one. That's where axel Rose got it. Yeah. See. Yeah. Totally. Because they took. They're all
0: aping. I mean, Ian's like the, he's like Quicksilver. He's just faster than everybody. So people are like, wow, who's this, who's this guy? He looks cool. He looks kind of like he's a goth, but he looks like Jim Morrison. And
1: oh yeah, I did a killer cover of um, oh man, wait, what was it? Crap, it was on the Less Than Zero soundtrack.
0: Oh, yeah, paint it on my heart. Thank you. Is it a Diane Warwick? Yeah. I think. Yeah, thank you. See?
1: Welcome. We're, f- we're fine. Um, so They uh, also they recorded uh, Peace Frog, the Doors track, too. Yep. That's my favorite Doors song.
0: Is it? Yep. Mine's still the end. That's a pretty good one. Yeah.
1: Apparently, that was the second take.
0: Really? They only recorded it twice.
1: No. I had no idea. I, I have so much respect for... You know, we're recording this right
0: now on Pro mm-hmm. Tools, but... Uh, did you ever hear the Sgt. Pepper isolated tracks? Oh yeah, it's, and not all of them. I have a, mm-hmm. a couple of friends who did some work for uh, rock. Was it rock musician? What's that video game where you play the fake guitar? Oh, rock band or rock band? Yeah. See, because I play guitar, it's number one. It doesn't make any sense. It's a new instrument, mm-hmm. but also I actually learned how to play guitar, so I don't want to pretend to play guitar. Yes. But- There's a new one out that apparently. There's um, like the drumming one now, and like, I mean it's cool. I don't don't get me wrong; it's entertainment. Oh right? yeah, but
1: it's it's done. It's over. They yeah. stopped making them. But there's a new one out that someone made money off. That makes you you have to play a real guitar, and you have to plug in, you have to play. Oh wow! And apparently they have tutors on there, and it was announced that Mike Ness from Social D is going to be one of the tutors oh, cool. on the game. So I don't know how the game is played, but I know he's part of it.
0: Oh, see that's so, that's where this stuff has to go. You know, like when I talk to video game guys, I'm like, you know, I'm all down for making a big video game. Like it's kind of a new territory to me. But I've always insisted, like, if we're going to do this, I wanted it to somehow have an educational element where, like, if mm-hmm. if you're, like, reading a map, you have to actually learn how to read a map. So that when you go out into the world, like, you know, everyone has their smartphones now. Like, you don't need to read a map. Even mm-hmm. coming over here to the studio, we got lost. And um, we, went to, we went to the avenue as opposed to the street. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the guy didn't know where he was, and, and he, he didn't have a GPS. I had a GPS, so I had to, you know, look it up and... You know, even though we're deep in the heart of Brooklyn, it's, I, I didn't know where we were. You know what I mean? This is, once you once you pass the BQE, it becomes like sort of a maze of small streets. And yep.
1: That's
0: the tricky part. We're the hope on the other side of the BQE. Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't want to give the address. Oh, uh, it's okay.
1: okay. If you want to come find us, we are at... No. <laughs> um, Williamsburg. Look for the guys with the stovepipes. Um, <laughs> the uh, ironic mustaches. God bless it. It's, it's, it's now become a cliche. I mean, it
0: has been for years. I mean, it, was, it, was just, it wasn't always... Yeah, it's funny. when It takes heard... quite a man to pull off a mustache, you know. I mean, I have a couple of friends who can do it, but... Yes. I have nothing against handlebars. I think on the right guy they look cool, but mm-hmm. same with sideburns. Yeah, sideburns are hard to pull off, man. Sideburns yeah. are like...
1: Um, sideburns for dudes are like eyebrows for chicks, you know? <laughs> it's like you need to have someone
0: pulling on that yeah. and styling it for you because you're just... You're not going to get it even. Yeah, it's true. You need to look out. How um, the Latin guys get it? I don't know how they cut those tiny little... Like, I don't know what you call them, these tiny little um, beards that yeah. just like a little line. Like, man, that's like grooming. Like,
1: how do uh-huh. you do that?
0: You know? It's very specific. Wearing a nice mariachi suit, you can pull that shit off. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm style wise, I'm more from the school of, you know, the cartoon show Top Cat. You know, you just yeah. roll out of the garbage can. Completely. Roll out and throw on a vest. Yeah, exactly. Fun. I had
1: a roommate in college who said, Did, didn't I? I was getting dressed up for some formal and. He
0: said, you just, no matter what you do, you look like you rolled out of bed. No <laughs> like It takes it takes a lot of time to look this bad. That's the thing you don't realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, the best thing is definitely Han Solo. <laughs> I mean, the best I'm, I have now has a Nostromo patch on the back. Really? <laughs> yeah, it really does. A friend of mine g- gave it to me, but uh, Frank Miller saw it and he was like, God, you're such a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you always been super nerdy? Mm-hmm. I guess what it means... Well, if you're professional, then I guess it's justified. Like, I was joking with my dad, because he never liked to buy me comic books as a kid. Huh. Cause I guess because it was... When are you reading comic books? You should be out chasing girls and play. You know, trying out for basketball and this this <laughs> kind of... It, not, it wasn't literally saying that, but that was kind of the intention, you could right. tell. But, um, like, you know, my new my new book, Battling Boys, hit number one on a New York Times bestseller, and I called to tell him, because it was like, wow, this is like... It hasn't even sunk in, really. I was in a meeting when my editor called to tell me it's like are you sitting down like I'm like no I'm, I'm gonna stand up i don't i don't know what you're gonna tell me but i'm like i'm thinking they're gonna fire me you know like <laughs> we 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 just realized you owe us money or something like this and he's, you know, told me and i was like wow okay good so i called my dad and we were laughing because i'm like you know you know who knew all those comic book piles you know would eventually add up to something so
1: that's so yeah. amazing man congrats the book is so fucking good thanks man dude when
0: there's more to come
1: I, that's And that I enjoyed because I wasn't aware of that till the last page, which I, don't, I like.
0: I don't know why we didn't put book one on that, to tell you the truth. I mean, I, it might have just been a—I mean, my editor's going to hate this, and you know, someone's going to want to hang themselves in the office, but it might have just been an oversight. There's—you know, like last minute, when you go through, like, the last-minute copy editing, all I mean, the, the book, you know, if, if the intention is to make it a bestseller, it's got to, you know, really be done well. And there's so many, like, little, tiny little details that, you know, know, at this point, there are five or six copy editors looking at everything. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we have to, you know, one reason people ask, they're like, you know, why is the book, you know, partially digitally, you know, typeset, you know, using a a handmade font based on, or typeface, I should say, based on my handwriting. It's because, you know, we're looking at multiple foreign editions and we want the book to feel as though it were lettered by one person. So there's a Paul Pope font? Yeah, it's called P-Pope. <laughs> Can you buy it? John, John Martz designed it. I don't think it's for sale, although I I would imagine eventually it would be. That's great. Some guys have, like, I know, uh, is, is it um, Blambot or Comic? I've, there's one, there's a license licenser for typefaces that does have one in, like, Dave Gibbons' handwriting, and I think there's one for... Uh, um, who else is in there? John Workman might have one. He did a lot of lettering for heavy metal back in the day. Really? There was a,
1: somebody a few years ago who would take like band fonts and you could get like your type in Jawbreakers mm. font or Marvel, mm. or, mm-hmm. or a or minor threat. Mm. You know, put that. Together.
0: Yeah, I have a couple of those actually. I, there's a great uh, typeface I like, a uh, company I like called uh, You Work For Them. We're, we're doing all these like uh, product placements. I on love this. it. Youworkforthem.com is one word, but they, they're they my favorite source for um, type foundry a friend of mine uh, in I have a friend who has a company called Armchair down in Atlanta, and they have a typeface called uh, Black Sabbath. As a, you know, and it kind of looks like the um, what is it? Uh, volume Four Black okay. Sabbath, you know, the one with Ozzy, mm-hmm. black and gold, and, and um, that's that's been used a lot. So you know, that's kind of it's kind of funny to think, because it's such an anonymous thing. But that's I think the the type designers I know, the designers I know, they um. There's a utilitarian invisible aspect to it. Like they like making something that can be used, but it's like it's ubiquitous. You don't realize a human being made it. It's like, you know, of course, there's always been cursive. You know, it's not as though someone invented it. You know what I mean? I think that shit's fascinating. I was
1: just talking to somebody about that, about, you know, you do want it to look like you Mm hand-lettered everything,
0: you know, whatever language it's translated to, whatever. Um, Well, because of the school of cartooning I come from, it's more guys like, you know, if you're looking at Robert Crumb... You know, he, he letters his own stuff, Chester Brown, the Hernandez brothers, mm-hmm. um, Mobius, you can go down the list, all these, you know, uh, Windsor McKay, even though he wasn't that good, but I mean, he's he's, he's like, uh, you know, Mach 1, so you mm-hmm. can't really blame him for not knowing what to do with the balloon panel, or the, the balloon within the panel, I should say. It's like yeah. an afterthought, right? So he just crams all the words in this tiny little postage
1: stamp. I got to interview the Hernandez brothers, and if there's ever a couple of dudes who don't realize how badass they are, yeah, you know, it's like, there's like yeah, that's what we do. I was,
0: He's another deadpan dude. Gilbert's pretty great. He's funny. Tells really funny stories. But just He's great guys. I mean, I, and Mario too. The other brother I should mention. Yeah, I had all three, and they, it's interesting because they're from
1: that world where you know, you don't think you're doing something, but mm-hmm. you're changing the landscape. Mm-hmm. And it it, it kind of seems how that that operates.
0: Well, especially with like the the kind of so to speak graduating class, like one or two generations behind me, because yeah, I'm 43, so. The, our guard school kids now who were, like, when I was reading Love and Rockets, you know, it started at 13, I think. But you can tell, like, they really respect the Hernandez brothers a lot.
1: Yeah, it's cool that that, because, like, as somebody who was, you know, just all capes and tights mm-hmm. you know, to find other things. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. they were in the
0: beginning, too, though. Like, those early mm-hmm. Love and Rockets had some really fun stuff. Yeah. When you get to the point where a band is going to rip your name off. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> I've been I've been name-checked in um, hip-hop really yeah the, I, there's a guy from Toronto that uh made a mention to my book one hundred percent, which was awesome, but uh yeah, in fact uh, David J from Love and Rockets is a huge comic book fan right mm-hmm. so um i I don't, I don't I've never asked those guys how they how um how they they kind of take that if, if they're mad about having the band named after uh the comic book
1: I think I might have asked them, but I can't remember it's on a day of many many. Many interviews. Now you, uh, how many rock posters have you done?
0: Um, I can't count offhand. I've done a lot. I'm planning on doing something for the Cult. They have a, a tour at the moment. Uh, it's been extended. They're going back to Europe again, I believe. They, I think the next, I think they're in Australia right now. Then they're going to the UK. Then they're going to Europe again. Okay. Um. So that, right for the Australian one, they have a, a guy who's Australian that they're working with. But I'm. I talked to Ian about doing a poster. That's so cool.
1: I'm a big Coop fan. So yeah, Coop's great. Yeah, I've got I have three three of his. Mm. Um, one is uh actually I have a Coop tattoo. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, it's, um, I'm a nerd, but it's also <laughs> for it was for his rocket first rocket from the crib poster. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a functional tattoo. It gets me to the shows for free. Oh, that's cool. So I dig that.
0: Those <laughs> guys were from um, San Diego, right? Yeah, man. I remember meeting uh, one of the singer or the, the singer. He's like a big kind of a yeah. hillbilly like, rockabilly yeah hillbillies he wasn't a hillbilly he was a surfer dude as
1: far as i could tell yeah but he's been in so, i mean he's all his bands are like from pitchfork to he was in drive like jehu and the hot snakes mm. And so all those bands it's like rocket is like his mm. just i mean that's my favorite out of all of them well, it's kind of kinda,
0: like the birthday party like yep. you know blossomed into so many great bands you mm-hmm.
1: know yes now uh bringing it back to nick cave i got in nick cave and i think this is fun because um uh in in reading the ripoff that just came out or the the image mm-hmm. that I just got, um talk about how one of the characters was you know even just drawn yeah, it's Nick out. cave, yeah, it's Nick cave. I didn't know who the hell Nick Cave was until mm. college, mm-hmm. and I saw wings of desire mm-hmm. and his little role's great though no, it's amazing, yeah, and I'm like watching I'm like, who the fuck is this guy, and what is he singing, what the fuck is going on yeah, and then uh then the next year I got you know the cooler roommate that you need to have yeah, who yeah. has more records. Yeah. And he's got... I have
0: you know, one of those. He's got, I had one of those
1: in college. Yeah, yeah, this was the guy. I'm like, like Pixies, you know? Mm-hmm. You know Henry's dream, you know? And mm-hmm. that's how I got into all this shit. Mm-hmm. Of course, then he had this wonderful, fun side where he was into... He had every King Missile record.
0: Mm-hmm. Which if you ever listened to that... King, oh, was like a L.A. hair band. Right? They were, they were kind of like more grungy, like biker band, right? From
1: Completely opposite. New York... Uh, the, weird talkie band They had one hit And it was called Detachable Penis hmm. And they had an album Called Mystical Shit mm-hmm. And they had these just Crazy songs Where they would have music In the background But they would just Tell stories over the top
0: mm-hmm. Like and a spoken thing?
1: Spoken thing Kind of Wouldn't really rhyme And it the was killer
0: went into The room Or what was that Doors line? The same, oh th- yeah That kind of thing just Walked that, on down the hall That Yeah just kind of Rap over the uh, But just weird mm- shit Like um
1: uh, I'm a sensitive artist. Uh, I write books that people can't understand, make paintings, people, and that kind of stuff. And in the background, another uh-huh. guy would be shouting. But Oh, weird. This is the guy that got me into uh, Nick Cave. And I can only say that I'm a peripheral fan, meaning I have a couple of records
0: because mm-hmm.
1: he has that catalog mm-hmm. and it pulls in. Oh, but yeah. Isn't it funny that every once in a while, Warren Ellis will have to say, I'm not the guy who works with Nick Cave.
0: Well, my favorite was back back when he was on MySpace. One time he put up... um. I am not, I am, I am, I'm Warren Ellis, but I'm not that Warren Ellis. He plays violin. I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I, fucking I mean, now, now that uh, Warren Ellis has the, uh, the big beard, right? The Rasputin beard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can actually kind of, even though I've, I've, I know both those guys and, and, um, Warren Ellis from Grinderman is a slightly smaller guy, but Warren Ellis, the genius is about six foot four. He's a huge guy. I Had no idea he was that yeah, tall. Yeah, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't know. He's he's pretty tall. I think he's six four. because I'm six one. He's bigger than me, and he seems big. So to make that dude more intimidating, he's like Gandalf, right? When yeah. Gandalf wants to scare Frodo. He gets bigger. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. God, he's one of my he's one of my favorites. He's right up there. Um, so yeah, with, massive cult following too, right? Yeah. Well, they they both have it.
1: I want to ask about Battling Boy. Uh, did you know that it was going to be like an epic? Did you have
0: everything <clears throat> put together, or just how the idea begin? Kind of grew. I mean, even until recently, recently being the spring, maybe six months ago, when we decided to work on a second series, the Aurora West series. So now there's Battling Boy book one and two. There's also an Aurora West book one and two. And they they interlock. So it tells one larger story. And uh, I'm writing the Aurora West series with um, a graphic novel writer, novelist, filmmaker, a guy named J.T. Petty. And it's being drawn by a Spanish artist and animator named uh, David Rubin, and I was able to um, I was able to bring David on, which was really exciting. And and JT and I just hit it off from the, from the first. Like my editor Mark Siegel was like, "I want you to meet this guy JT. I think you guys would work together well." So then we yeah we spent the, like David now has fifty pages penciled, so he's a little bit of um, let's see how to say it? like he's I think the first of the Aurora West books is hundred sixty something pages. So he's he's pretty fast. Like the guys from animation are, Damn. like Scott Morris at Pixar is a cartoonist, mm-hmm. and that guy's pretty quick too. I guess you have to be. I remember you're, kind of, you're trained in it, right? So I,
1: I love how that if you study to be an animator, you have to take a class on paper flipping.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I guess that is isn't art if you think about it.
1: Like for real. Like I met I do this uh, rockabilly dude in California, and he was dating this young lady who was an animator. He said it was very annoying when they would go to restaurants where they would give you crayons and paper. He's like, <laughs> I just. Obsessive doodler. Why don't I just not talk? Yeah. But uh, he's, she told me, she's like, yeah, you have to take a class and learn how to put the paper between your fingers and flip back and forth and wow. flip back and forth. Wow. Wow, that's really cool. What animation have you ever delved into?
0: Um, when I worked on Cavalier and Clay for Scott Rudin at Paramount, um, they'll still make that film eventually, but most of 2006 was me working with the team. So um, they financed a number of animation uh, test reels. And so I directed one that Michael, Sh- which Michael Shabin wrote. Wow. And a company called Lobo Animated, um, which is interesting because it was um, you know, the uh, uh, Gabrielle and, and Fabio Ba, the, the yeah, yeah. twins from, mm-hmm. from Brazil. Did an Umbrella Academy? Yeah, that was one of their first jobs out of college. They animated that. So really? They worked on the animation. Dude. And um, I mean, of course, all this stuff is under lock and key because Paramount's mm-hmm. still getting the movie made. It's all proprietary. But, um, so we did that, uh, worked on two other animations, uh, on the, on, for, for that, uh, project. Wow. Yeah. And so no one's seen them. but they're, no. the the one that, uh, Michael and I did was a uh, thing with the escapist and mm-hmm. it, it, it's cool. It looks, I mean, it looks like my drawings, but it, it looks really good. Wow. Was that like weird for you to
1: have to. It's I a mean, lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I guess you weren't doing the actual animating,
0: but. Being able to look at it and make sure... it I did what they call key sequencing, which is where... Like, I would do the style guide. Mm -hmm. All the animation turnaround model sheets. Um, And then I did the uh, key sequencing, which is sort of the indicator for, like... Okay, this is the main thing, the main emotional beat for this scene. And this is, you know, for that. And then um, the last time I got involved in animation... I know some guys up in Toronto uh, who have. They're. I don't think the band's together, but they unfortunately now for them the band was named the Tea Party, and um, they're a really great rock band, kind of like a. They were kind of dubbed Moroccan Roll because they used a lot of exotic instruments. Like Jeff Martin, the songwriter, is a, he's you know perfect pitch, can play, twenty instruments, and you know he, he has like I um, hate those people. He's. I mean, he's hardcore. He's. He's really. You know, he's friends with Jimmy Page, and you know, it's like the guy's good so they had their last record was called um seven circles and i was working on that and they i was slated to do and they wanted kind of a sergeant peppery like you know that that the film sergeant or the um, the yellow submarine they wanted something super oh, okay. psychedelic so that was a lot of fun like lots of bright colors and and things we wound up not doing it because there wasn't enough time they have a video out that was what they eventually came up with i don't know who did it but it's songs called um uh, the writings on the wall Pretty good riffy rock track. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm sure it's on YouTube, you know, the the video you can see. It's, yeah. it's it's sort of like what we were hoping to do, but they did it on their own.
1: Okay. That's just got to be weird being able to. One, you're talking about delegating earlier, but, you know, you've got the
0: vision in your head, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's easier just to do it mm-hmm. rather than try and oh, so follow it out. Yeah, people ask, like, you know, if, if you can do, like, more corporate franchise type stuff, like, why don't you just do that? I mean, the truth is it, it can be very frustrating and diplomatic to work with large You know, film is hundreds of people, right? But with comics, it's pretty much like literally you in a room. Like, my studio doesn't have any Wi-Fi hookup. It just has, like, maybe the 200 essential books I want to look at and just have near me for sort of, like, backup, you know? And I have a table, air conditioner, uh, incense burner, a bottle of Coke and a bottle of Coca-Cola, I should say, and a bottle of water. Bottle of Coke, my God!
1: (laughs) Well, that explains how he gets so much done, (laughs)
0: Well, that's a, it's it's been a little, the work's been a little more staggered, though, like, since we got serious with, like, rolling out Battling Boy, you know, I'm, I'm on the road about two weeks a month. Wow. It's becoming, yeah, I never thought I would get into, you know, being sort of a natural introvert with extrovert tendencies. I never thought I'd be in a position where I'd be going to elementary schools, you know, giving presentations on Battling Boy, doing life drawing for, you know, fifth graders, this kind of, and then... Like, you know, when we were in D.C. a couple of weeks ago, we did two or three talks for kids at like ungodly hours, like 730 in the morning. What is these kids are like in school by 730? Like, you know, I don't have a kid, so I don't know. But, but they're up then, much earlier. Trust me. <laughs> 730 is afternoon for some of them. And then well, then that there was one day where we did two school presentations, broke for lunch. And then um, that night did a, a thing, uh, Tacoma Park, um, the public library. And that was mostly adults. And so it was a, it was cool because it was this, this talking about the same project, but because it was uh you know sort of like, you know, gr- uh, college kids and adults you, you know the, the obviously the conversation was very different.
1: Can you imagine if you were as a kid and saw someone like you coming in to show this cool book that you've
0: done? You know, it's funny that uh, my editor Mark was saying it's like you know what like that's when it really hit me. It's like this this is going to be the book that's going to get kids hooked onto comics, and maybe on reading in a wider sense because they said. A lot of kids, they call problem readers, who just don't like to read or have trouble reading, they can read graphic novels. It's just that until recently, there weren't a lot of graphic novels in print that are appropriate for like you know fifth graders.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's how I learned how to read was comics, and my parents. Yeah, were me cool. too. My parents were cool enough to go as long as
0: he's reading. Yeah, that's yeah. My mom was supportive because you know when I was a kid, there really weren't comic shops, and there wasn't the internet, mm. so it was hard to find comics. You had to go to fucking Seven Eleven, get them off the rack? Yeah, and then, everything. that's what I did. Like, you know, I'd get a dollar or something. Or, you know, I had a little allowance and two bucks a week or whatever it was. And, you know, that's enough to get like a stack of comic books. At that time, hell yeah. <laughs> a lot of bucks. <laughs> I remember when they went from 60 to 75 cents. I was like, well, now what the hell am I supposed to do? Yeah, I remember, I remember those jumps too. Yeah, they went to a dollar and a dollar 20. Like, Come on. I think when I was a little kid, I think they were a quarter. Mm-hmm. I think I can remember them being a quarter. Yeah, you're not too much older than me. Like, No. I'm 40. I'm going to be 42. And well, and d- when I was really heavy into comics in, in like, junior high and high school, they were 60 cents. Hmm. And then there was the Mando Baxter paper or something oh, yeah. that jumped up to $2. The Steege format and all that. And it's, they tried to sell you on, like, this is going to last forever. And mm-hmm. it's, it's unbreakable. You Remember when the paper changed? Yeah, that's what I meant. They yeah, they yeah. they went to that, like, like heavier stock and, oh, yeah. you know... I guess it's kind of the equivalent of having like a high def television. That would be it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you go back and get that old smell.
1: Yeah. It's, it's tons of fun. I'm trying to, i get every everything I like it's to funny. read is all in trades and I'm trying to find something to do with my whole old collection.
0: Did you hear that Um, some guy, they were tearing down an old house and somebody found a copy of Action Comics number one that was used as wall insulation? Like they were just tearing a wall down. All these like old newspapers fell out. Just, you know, that was what these for insulation, just paper. Yeah. But there was a copy of Superman number one, in in this wall. I mean, I don't know what, what kind of condition it's no, in. No, but, but still, yeah, it's kind of neat, right? People to hold it and see it. They say that also there's like with the Constitution, there's like multiple copies of it, right? Because it was it existed in different places. Mm-hmm. And there's always that legend, like there's one missing, like somewhere in the world there is a copy of the U.S. Constitution that's missing.
1: Oh, Nicolas Cage has that. Oh yeah, right. Oh, I forgot
0: that. Was in that movie wasn't it? <laughs> That I saw, I saw a recent copy of them
1: at San Diego. I saw a copy of Action Comics number one. And it the was, real, the real thing, the real thing. And it was I'm surprised that
0: it'd be out in public. That should be well. In like it was the under Guggenheim. lock
1: and key, and it was like a Jim Lee and Jeff Johns were handing it to Henry Cavill, who played Superman. And, and what, were, what was were, he doing? They were giving it to him. No, right? they were just showing it to him. Like here he is, take a picture. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that belonged to Jack White. Did it really? Yeah. Wow,
0: well, that's like mega money.
1: Yeah, a little bit of dough.
0: Yeah. Just to have that floating around. I did, a, I did a piece for the White Stripes when um, Elephant came out. Oh, really? For a UK Mag. Oh, wow. They saw it. He was confused because I put um, this giant like Dumbo elephant behind him. He's like, why Why did you put Dumbo in here? <laughs> well, it's an elephant. <laughs> I wanted to draw an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the cyclicalness of that conversation he, is killing me. He, Let's get do down to the d-
1: elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah. Exa- yeah, right? Another dude you wouldn't think who's as tall
0: as he is. Jack, yeah. Well, he's mm-hmm. from he's from detroit like there's that song hotel yorba mm-hmm. or is it, yeah, i think it's called hotel yorba that was like a joke because it's right when you get across the um there's a um there's a bridge that links detroit to uh windsor and mm-hmm. i lived up there i lived in toronto for a while so i drive past it but like hotel yorba was always this joke that uh, my friend my best friend and i lived together for a while and we that's how we knew we were back in the states is when you'd see hotel yorba it's the first thing you pass when you get get back into the states that's fine and it looked like a dump yeah like you know what i mean like something out of the old hitchcock film like haunted or something you don't want to go into it
1: yeah i've only every time i've been to detroit i've been in the airport or in uh the chevrolet building <laughs> the gmc building oh yeah only yeah. two places i've ever been I haven't
0: gone and the um the one we used to go to was uh 'cause because i lived in bowling green ohio which is near toledo and we used to go to the car show in detroit oh yeah and um i remember also there was the renaissance center i think that was uh like that, it's like a, it was like the only, at the time it seemed like the only super tall, like silver structure in the city. Mm-hmm. Had like a shopping mall and at the time that was a big deal, you know, cause it, it coming you, because coming from a small town. the
1: airport's lovely there. And then you got in Detroit and you're like, oh, yeah.
0: sad. Yeah. I was actually just flew through Detroit uh, airport last week. Good heavens. Yeah. I went to visit my mom. She lives in uh, Ohio still. You're from Det- uh, Philly, right? originally? I, yeah, I was. I was born there. I don't okay. remember it, but I was born yeah. there. Okay. And then like moved around, moved about a bit. Yeah. I, I mostly grew up in Ohio and then like once i got into like my mid-20s i started moving a lot okay so i lived you know lived in europe a little bit lived in japan mm-hmm. um it was all, where uh, you lived was it all work related <clears throat> yeah yeah because um you know it's expensive moving and mm-hmm. you know it's i, I always thought it, you know I, I can let's see well I, I lived briefly with my sister in uh santa cruz and that was with the intention of Going to school out there, but I didn't realize how expensive it was going to be to be an out-of-state student going to one of the Californian schools. Yeah, so I moved back and then finished schooling in uh, at Ohio State, and then I started moving. So I moved to Toronto. I lived in uh, Tokyo for a while. Uh, like I said, I was in uh, Brussels and Paris for a little while, and then um, um then pretty much New York. you in Brussels. In uh, Belgium. Wow. Or sorry, not Belgium. Brussels, the city. Yes, uh, at a little place called Horta. Okay, I was. Um, I had a friend who had a bookstore there, and I was um, kind of like squatting in their place for a while, just making comics, absorbing Europe, mm-hmm. trying to get my French down. When did you start putting out a THB? Um, I think I started publishing that 1995. Wow, I was working at a. a like a a commercial print shop and then in your off hours you could work and i I couldn't work on the printing press because i'm not union right and well at the time and the the presses were very dangerous too you know Mm -hmm. you could really get hurt if you didn't know what you're doing on them not to mention they're very expensive so but i worked in the camera department and um i just i worked with the the team this is a place called cpm i don't know if it still exists but um so i worked in the camera department and i was able to kind of make a trade with work to get um smaller bills for self publishing luckily the um uh the uh cost of living in columbus was super cheap you know my rent was like 200 dollars a month and you could act, i mean at the time you you know you could, it, if you live pretty modestly as a, as a independent self publisher you can do it you know cuz like you go to a convention you might sell five or six grand worth of merchandise you can live on that for a long time if your expenses are so low
1: was that your so, mo was that to like publish it and like well, you probably hand you know drove it
0: yourself to bookstores but you oh yeah it was i mean it wasn't glamorous you know i mean like you yeah. you know pack boxes in a car and you know go or you were no to- you were touring yeah i was touring it was yeah remember one time we were driving back from san diego me and my my friend scott and we had a, a bunch of boxes of um thb in the back seat a couple of long-haired guys you know driving the strange hour and so the cop stops us and I, you could tell he thought something was up, and so he took Scott and interviewed him in the car, and then came back and took me and interviewed us, and he's like, okay, you guys can go, because he just went independently verify, you know, like the prisoner's dilemma, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that was weird. He's like, well, he probably thought we were drug dealers or something, you know, like just two guys with boxes in the backseat, like who are these guys? And um, later he said, you know, I, uh, I almost just felt like fucking with him and like just telling him a lie. And I was like, it's a really good thing you didn't do that, man, because, you know, there w- there would have been the vacation. Yeah, it would have been over. You can't bribe him back with w- comics. would have been meeting Bubba, and, you know, <laughs> in uh, Dallas. How much of your art do you still have? I have most of it. I mean, if you were to stack all of it up, I would think it's probably about seven feet tall now. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to keep everything. It's one good thing about going to art school is is they really drum into your head how important documentation is. Yeah. And now I'm trying to like with THB there's prob there's going to eventually be around 1000 pages. I think right now there's 6 or 700 and we're slowly archiving them digitally for print. Okay, cool. So that's the plan. It, so, that's the that's the plan.
1: That's really cool. I was that was, thanks for following up my next question with the answer. Mm. Oh, good, okay. Yeah, see good. Moving on. Um I, I think it's cool that <laughs> uh, I know you were in that documentary with uh, Jeff Smith who I also like but he kind of went that like he went self-publishing, then went to Image, then went back to self-publishing, and that mm-hmm. which is kind of weird because Image is basically putting it out yourself anyway.
0: Well, there was there was a period when there was a, there was a shakeup in because like when you're a self-publisher in the '90s, at least when mm-hmm. when we were in there, he he was a little bit ahead of me. He and Allred were like the two guys right mm-hmm. before me, I think, in terms of like generation. But um, there was a big shakeup with distribution where something happened where like the big company. I, I remember how it worked out, but. He, he, Basically, it was a security move for him because Image had guaranteed distribution. A lot of the smaller guys were sort of left in a position. Luckily, my stuff was selling well enough that I wasn't really in a, a bad situation. But I know a lot of guys were not doing very well. So, um, you know, I I knew all those Image guys, too, at the time. Like, you know, we would do events together. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, there wasn't a way to work together in my case. So... You already have, if, if, yeah. It sounds like if you're doing well
1: on your own, they can't offer you anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, doing well meant, meant surviving, meant living. You know, sometimes it's literally two nickels to rub together, right? Yeah, but if that's all you know, and you're getting to do what you like, and
1: you're not starving, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's, you don't, it's like, what's your definition of success, I guess? Yeah,
0: it's true. There's a great thing C.S. Lewis says. Um, he's like, anybody who thinks poverty is romantic has never had to, never had to make a needle out of a, you know, a paperclip in order to sew a button back on a shirt, you know something like that. Also, all lions are Jesus. <laughs> that's the other
1: thing. That was his subtext. Um, is book two Battling uh, Boy finished? No, I'm still
0: working on it. Oh, right, I have a hard deadline. It's coming up. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you, it's, do you, it's a challenge. They, they don't want me to leak any info. That's fine. It'll but, come out eventually. Do you like having a deadline? Does that work for you as an artist? Yeah, it helps. I think the the challenge has been... Well, like if, if and when the movie stuff happens again, I don't want to be so involved in it because it, it takes up a lot of time, a lot of emotional karma, um, takes a lot of money, mm-hmm. like personal expenses, flying around, traveling, you wind up spending a lot of money on stuff that you didn't intend to. Um, you know, I think uh, if that happens again, I want to be a little more hands off, you know, just because the focus right now is, is well, in the short term, it's promoting. Battling Boy. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have a positive effect. But also it's just really focusing on getting the second book done so it's not going to be years before it's out. You think that's better? That's just all around for you better to...
1: Like Alan Moore said, he doesn't mind when people make a movie of his stuff because he said, if I wanted to make a movie, I would have done that. I do comics. That's what I like. Mm -hmm. So you can take it, give me the money, do whatever the hell you want. Mm -hmm. Bastardize it, which most people have done. But, I mean...
0: Well, so far my experience has been with uh you know i've had a number of things in production um battling boy right now is the the one that's gotten the farthest but um so far like the the team of people i've been working with they're you know they they like my vision for the story they want to remain faithful to it while still making it you know kind of accessible to wider audience you know i don't read harry potter but people say that those films are pretty close to the books certain ones so i think i think you can you can do that, but also... Three, four, and five, especially. Oh, I tried to watch one of them and it didn't make any sense.
1: No, the first two are abysmal. Third one's great because it could be a standalone. Oh, okay. Um, fourth one's... Uh, and that's Quaron, uh, the guy who just did Gravity. Oh, know, okay. He did the third one. That's the best one. Oh, wow. And then the fourth one's... um, Fourth one's pretty good. Fifth one's pretty good, too, but then you could... For the rest of them I could care less about.
0: Yeah, it seems to me the key is... I mean, you've obviously got to get a great director, but... Mm-hmm. You know, you got to like lock in either like the star, the director, the A-list writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the case of the Battling Boy film, um, I I worked on the script adaptation with um, Alex C, who's considered A-list writer. He's a great guy. Um, He lived here in New York for a little while 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 we worked on the drafts. Got up through a ninth draft. And that was really fascinating because I don't know much about screenwriting. You know, I read Robert McKee and David Mamet just trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. At least so I can do laps with the guy where this guy's doing the marathon sprints, and um, you know even though like the 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 book is more like an opera, it doesn't follow like that kind of Robert McKee three X structure formula. The film the film adaptation's a little closer to that, where you know it has to make sense within like two hours. So
1: it is like so, an opera. It's a great way of saying it. I mean, even down to the the costumes. You know, oh, yeah? I tell you, man, the ghoul. I read a lot of comics. I had a very visceral response the first time I saw it.
0: Oh, like, just so when they pull his mask yeah, off? No, no. The
1: first time he's just sitting there with the hood in, oh, yeah. in Haggard West. Oh, like, yeah. That creeped me out. I yeah, don't get good, creeped good. Out. I don't get creeped out from comics. Yeah. Real life zombie shit, horror stuff creeps me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> comics,
0: I'm like, oh, that's cool. Serial killers creep me out. The, but the fact Jail that, and serial killers. The like, fact, I mean, all this fantasy, like zombies and vampires, it's all fantasy. Right? Mm-hmm. So I don't get... To, but I mean, I did... I wanted... You know, he's an embodiment of a child kidnapper. Yeah. Right? And that's like something that... And he's like dead. So he, he probably smells bad. He's got ripped up rags on. That's so like... Bad and it's, breath, that, you know? That's how this book is nails. so appealing
1: to kids, man, because it's... That's the... They're, yeah, the gross factor, right? Well, like, like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the, the child snatchers, you know? Mm-hmm, like, that's mm-hmm. some scary shit. It is scary City
0: shit. of Lost Children, that's scary shit, but kids can go see it and be scared and be... You know, what? I gotta say, one of, one of the most interest, interesting things on that book tour we had we we're taking we into the presentation take q and a's from all these you know 10 or 12 year olds who just got in from recess so you can hear you can you know you walk past the elementary school cafeteria and then you see those little chairs and you can smell the salisbury steak and then the kids come in from recess and they all smell like sweaty kids and this one kid was asking something like like why why are the monsters kidnapping children or like this like just like an innocent kid question but without like wanting to traumatize him it's like well you know i think you guys know that this world is dangerous and sometimes there are bad people bad adults you know and i was like you know battling boy is a kid he's like your age and he's he's defending other kids and it's like enough of a like a dark warning i guess to the kids that they can get that but it's not you know like oh we don't walk home after dark because you might be molested by somebody you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. i think they're aware of it yeah and that's for mom and dad to to discuss anyway but at least this might be something i didn't make it for this reason but i mean this is one thing i'm hearing from adults uh, people have children like they can read the comic with their kid and there's enough in it that they can talk about it
1: yeah and you also have like you know the you have the authority that's kind of
0: manipulating the kid yeah you know? well that was cuz i am really grossed out by child celebrity yeah and it's been a big question cuz obviously if battling boys live action we're going to have to cast kids in it it's a worry to me well here's something you can find um I
1: I interviewed Daniel Radcliffe a bunch to the point where he would come in and go, oh, hey, how are you? And he knew that I liked bands and he would tell me about new bands in England that I didn't know. Mm. He's the most well-adjusted person and it all comes from the parents. Yeah. And so when you meet the parents, then you'll know because they're out there. Mm. And I feel bad for child celebrities, a lot of whom are going through the same stupid shit we went through in our 20s yeah. with cameras. Oh, if, yeah. If there were cameras following me around in my 20s, they would probably think I was Lindsay Lohan. You know? Oh, yeah. Because I was a complete moron. Yeah. I was a complete moron in my 30s. But yeah. it's like, it's all up in their face. Yeah. You know? And then they have that weird entitlement because they can get stuff. It's an, it's annoying. Yeah. But I've interviewed a bunch of, you know, young kids who are like, have a good head on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then you have that afterthought of, well,
0: did you get to be a kid?
1: Because yeah. you should get to be
0: a kid. Yeah. You should do that. Well, what, was it, what was it Robert Plant said about being a rock star? He said, like, you know, in a band like Led Zeppelin, you live an entire life in three years. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would imagine that's probably what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I mean, going to prom wasn't that great anyway, was it? Well, I, I went for 10 minutes. Yeah,
1: it was like, wow, I get a picture taken. My dad didn't even like me. It was annoying. And I paid for dinner.
0: But yeah, that, that's what they were telling me. You know, it's like, well, that's that's something for the manager and the parents to, you know like that's you know mm-hmm. the, for the kid actor that this is a great opportunity to play this character and um but how do we get on that subject i don't remember oh
1: yeah we're talking about um you know dealing with kids and uh how, oh yeah, yeah how this is going to appeal to a kid mm-hmm. but child select or how the the, the mayor and the oh yeah manipulate him yeah you know? yeah yeah uh, that can
0: of thing. Like, uh well, yeah, unless, it, is a, it is a kind of a subtle commentary on on that yeah because it's creepy and the kid doesn't know any better mm-hmm. you know and they give him a dumb name and yeah try to merchandise which, him and stuff
1: which is funny uh, one thing I just wanted to touch on here at the end is... Um, did you read that thing Mark Wade wrote about his like advice to freelancers? Uh, no, I haven't. I've, I have it earmarked. I haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. Well, then forget it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to get your take on it because it's amazing. And, is that right? Yeah. Hmm. I sent it to... Um, uh, my co-host is going to be even angrier because he's from Cleveland that he's not here. Hmm. Um, Jonah, he... I sent it to him as a writer you mm-hmm. know, because what he can learn about it. And it's just that... What is the, what's the gist of it? The main through line is how freelancers are getting treated by certain editors, not all editors, certain editors and how don't, he's like basically said, turn in good work late. Don't Mm -hmm. rush it because mm-hmm. you have to meet something mm-hmm. like, like that's going to reflect on you in the future. That's one mm-hmm. of the things he talked about. And I thought it was really, really smart mm. what he said. And it's something I never thought about. And when you mentioned deadline, that's when mm-hmm. kind of clicked with me, Are deadlines and that kind of dealing with an editor. Is that something you, when you do your own work for you and THB or whatever, do yeah. you put that on yourself. Do you have to,
0: I, or, my editor, uh, Mark Siegel on battling boy and THB is, the, is the primary person I'm working with on the two series. And, um, you know, we've been spending a lot of time together. So we're traveling. You know, we, they book us in hotels right next to each – rooms and right next to each other. We get up together at 6 in the morning of coffee. You know, we have like a drink before going to bed at night. We're eating all our meals together, driving around. So we've had a lot of time to talk process. And um, for me, it's kind of personal because I have to really like the person, my editor. Like I really – I love Bob Shrek. He's a really great friend of mine and same with Mark. And so there's a rapport – and um, that way, you know, because it, it's it's like every job is challenging at times. But you know, there's there's challenges in doing this, and um, so I feel like you need that kind of support, right? And so he's very supportive. And at times, you know, he's, you know, like might be leaning on, on mommy a little too heavy, or the vice might be a little too tight, you know. But um, I like he he said something really good. He's like, well, you know, why don't we have soft goals and be be uh, forceful about the soft goals, as opposed to having hard goals, and then just kind of like having those things kind of slough off, you know? And I thought that's kind of a cool way, like kind of a zen way to approach deadlines. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But Seems you know, there still is a hard deadline no matter what I've got, you know, a few months from now I'm going to have to get this thing done. <laughs> <laughs> One reason the book ended the way it did is because we ran out of time. There there were, there were was going to be another like 10 or 12 pages, but we. I was like, you know what, we have to end it within this number of pages and by this date. And so I tried to come up with like a really hard, sharp, you know, like literally a cliffhanger. It just ends. Yeah. It was a dick move. (laughs) Well, it all makes, it all makes, Uh, it's the only only complaint we're hearing about it. (laughs) That. And also that the book's too small, but then other people say they love the size of the book. Well, that was my next question is that one people, as you said, it it takes
1: a village to make a book, but the design goes down to the size.
0: You yeah. know, was that something you knew ahead of time you wanted? It- uh that was that was an editorial decision. Hmm. And they you know, same with like uh, imprint like Black Lizard. They do all those old noir crime books. Mm-hmm. It's a certain size. And that's or Penguin has a certain yeah. size. Tashin books are certain size, or sizes, I should say. And um First Second has been experimenting a little bit in different formats. Like there's a slightly larger size. Uh for the T H B series, we have scheduled um a, uh, a second edition that's coming out that would be like an absolute edition in black and white like the artist's edition and um i'm not sure if we're gonna do it with battling boy but um i think if we're doing it with thb there's a good chance we will also for battling boy like a oversized black and white kind of absolute oh wow which i would love to see you know because a lot of the people who know my stuff from thb it's a lot of it's been published at much larger than comic book size yeah it's like t- tabloid magazines. Because mm-hmm. I loved Interview magazine. I thought it was so neat to have these huge magazines. Interview, man, what a just. Or Baseline. Remember Baseline? I don't know UK, that one. I don't UK know. UK Design magazine. What?
1: Interview gets me because I don't know why more people haven't done that. It should be. It should Probably always be expensive,
0: like two, you know. Two people interviewing and then putting out that big. I guess
1: that is true. The print.
0: Oh, that yeah. I, Comics Journal does it once in a while. I yeah. was, they're they have an idea for something that's like the generations. Mm-hmm. And I was, before Mobius died, we had a plan to go over, um, and he and I just sit down and have like a interview style wrap together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was deep in the battling boy deadlines and as he was getting more ill, just, it was, it was apparent that it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. So sadly, but, yeah, but sometimes that's how they have to roll. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, that would have been very interesting, but. Um, you know, like they, are, they have, a. have seen one recently that they did. That was, I believe it was Frank Quietly and Dave Gibbons. Oh, really? Which is a pretty great team up, right?
1: Yeah. So. Gibbons, man. Jeez. I saw him. He's a big World War II buff. Yeah. He's one of those like military history guys. God, those dudes. It's hard to, it's interesting when you delve into that because I have a grandfather who, like fought in the Pacific, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ruined him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. It's. And you realize it's, it's, it's fun. It's not fun. It's sad to see the cycles of like, you know, um, disconnect in parenting. Yeah. So, you know, if you have parents from the seventies, uh huh. you know, it's like, well, their parents most likely if they fought in World War II are drunks. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And so they have that disconnect. So then they don't know how to deal with kids. Then you have now my generation who has kids and they have the term, you know, helicoptering because you're so ensconced oh, yeah. around your kids because mm-hmm. you didn't get that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So now it's like, well, how hands off do you be? And it's yeah. Like,
0: pretty fascinating how that works wow um uh, have you talked to dave gibbons yeah yeah i saw i had dinner with him uh, uh it was a good, a good little lineup he, he when i was briefly at uh, legendary comics we had a dinner out in san diego's uh, pretty good team it was like dave myself frank miller matt wagner was there Turn. i don't want to leave anybody at the table um i think that might have been it but that was pretty great like you know as a fan of all of those guys to mm-hmm. you know know them and then but then they're all just interesting you know people so like even outside of comics like you don't really talk shop too much it's more like i can imagine
1: so wagner's one of those dudes that he said i mean i like his art but like i just like the way he
0: writes yeah you know yeah he's he and i geeked out over um old boris Karloff movies i just saw him like a week or two ago he's he's also a chef he's a great cook i don't know if a lot of people know this i like to i like to cook at home too i like i'm getting into it that's why i got that vincent price cookbook but um, I have a lot of you know I got the 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 uh, moosehead. Uh, I think it's the moosehead cookbook. It's vegetarian. The candle cafe has a cookbook out. That's uh this amazing vegetarian restaurant Upper East Side. So I eat a lot of vegetarian food, even though I I'm not vegetarian. But he he, it's cooks delicious. A lot of, you know, yeah, it's good for you. Yeah, of
1: course. Well, some of it is, and some of it's just as steeped in oil as others. Yeah, true. That's true. And just as gross, but it's delicious. It's really good. I'm the same way. Dude, thanks so much for hanging out.
0: Yeah. I really it's good. appreciate you taking it's the time good.
1: and getting lost, getting over here.
0: Yeah, it's very, yeah. that was, uh, it was good. Got to see a side of Brooklyn I hadn't seen before. And that was Paul Pope. What do you
1: think of that, huh? Yeah. Oh, by the way, he dresses just like Nick Cave. In fact, I I would dare say that you have both Nick Cave and Paul Pope in a room. That's just too much cool for one room. That's too much cool for one planet. Damn. Super great guy. Really fun to talk to. Not many people you meet at San Diego Comic-Con and talk about the band The Birthday Party. Drop that in your history books, people. All right, if you dig Going Off Track and you want to send a note to either myself, Brad, Jonah, or Mike, go to facebook.com slash track. You might be listening to this here podcast on our website. It's a fabulous website. We are very proud of it. And if you want to help keep this podcast going, there's a teensy little button there that says donate. You can hit it and it will tell you how to, you know, throw some bucks our way. Because as I say every week, a podcast is a wonderful way to break even follow us at going off track on the twitter we would do a tumblr and other things but gosh darn it we are just so lazy we will see you guys next week and as we all say when i say see i mean you hear us we could hear you hearing us wow that'd be a thing wouldn't it all right see you